0: Kathy, how you doing?
1: I'm doing pretty well, Brian. How about yourself?
0: Doing all right. So, D.C., uh, how is? I haven't been out there in a while. Are the, uh, the tourists starting to come back? We're kind of in this weird sort of, I don't want to say post-COVID, but um, it, it does seem like people are traveling again, and I know D.C. is a big tourist hotspot.
1: Yeah, the city is really coming back. Congress has returned after its long summer recess, and the tourists are here. And let me just tell you, traffic was as bad as it ever was this morning coming into the office.
0: No, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, what do you say? Do you, we're going to talk about uh, AI and health equity. Are you ready to get going? I am good to go. Let's do it. This is Health Calls, the podcast of the Catholic Health Association. I'm your host, Brian Rutin. And today we're going to be talking with Kathy Curran. She is Senior Director of Public Policy for the Catholic Health Association. Hi, Kathy. Hey, Brian. And in just a moment, we're going to welcome in Michael Miller. He's System Vice President of Mission and Ethics for SSM Health. Michael will be joining us in just a few minutes. But, Kathy, I wanted to start with you and really ask a two-part question. Um, One, we know that artificial intelligence, I think some people are calling it augmented intelligence. Uh, it's getting a lot of attention, particularly the role it's playing in healthcare. Uh, it can do everything from detect, predict diseases. It can help develop treatments. Um, and actually, last fall, you wrote an article in our journal Health Progress where I thought you made a really good point. And that's why I wanted to bring you in, in this initial part of this uh, episode was about the potential for AI and machine learning, while it can improve patient outcomes, there can be some ethical risk. Um, so first, I want you to maybe just give us a 30-second a overview of what is AI. I think most of us know what it is, but give us sort of the, the cliff notes of what is artificial intelligence, and then what are some of the ethical risks that you've identified?
1: Well, I'll start with what artificial intelligence or AI is. It's a broad term that covers many different kinds of technologies, that like model or simulate human cognitive abilities. It's like machines thinking like people. Um, They can be simple kind of if-then tools used for clinical uh, decision-making, but it can also be more sophisticated things like machine learning, where computer programs are fed data and algorithms on how to analyze the data. um, uh, And they can use that to make references and then come to conclusions faster and in different ways than human beings would be able to on their own and they can uh, they can compute and consider just vast amounts of data very quickly
0: and with that power uh comes some potential problems
1: sure so um one concern we have is the way that algorithms could be used or results in disparate outcomes um, on racial or ethnic grounds. So uh, as I think many of our listeners know, uh, CHA has an initiative called We Are Called. Uh, it's a pledge our members have taken to confront racism by achieving health equity. So one of the pillars of that pledge is to um, get our houses in order. And that means many things. But one thing it means is to take a really hard look at how we deliver care and make sure that nothing in how we deliver care is resulting in um, in, intentional for sure, or even unintentional um, racism or disparate outcomes. So when we look at AI, we wanna ask, is this tool, this algorithm, can it be misused or can it result in outcomes that affect people differently based on their race or their ethnicity? And the answer to that question is yes.
0: So what's an example? How could that happen?
1: Um, I think people are familiar with the kidney function issue. Um, An algorithm was created to evaluate kidney function. And one of the data elements was based on a difference that is sometimes seen between black patients and white patients. But when the algorithm was run, the result was it told, it made it look like The kidneys of black patients were 16 percent healthier than those of white patients, even though we know that black Americans are four times as likely to have kidney failure as white Americans. Mm. So this can result in uh, people being denied the care they need based upon their race. And in fact, uh, it was such a concern that a task force of the uh, National Kidney Foundation issued a recommendation to abandon the tool. But it can also happen in unintentional ways. Um, So we really have to look at how these algorithms are developed, but also what are the outcomes that they're producing.
0: That's fascinating. Well, let's do this. Let's bring in Michael Miller. And again, I I introduced him earlier, but let me reintroduce him. Michael Miller is System Vice President of Mission and Ethics for SSM Health. And Michael has written a lot about uh, the ethical considerations of AI. And I guess my first question, Michael, is, I've heard it used as artificial intelligence or augmented intelligence. Are they one and the same? Is there a distinction without a difference there? Or what's, what, how come the two terms have been used?
2: Yeah, great question, Brian. Uh, first of all, I just want to say uh, thanks, friends, for inviting me to this conversation. Pleased to be with you today. I have heard AI, the acronym. We love acronyms in yeah, healthcare, We, do, we right? sure do, don't yeah. we? <laughs> so AI often refers to artificial intelligence. Um, And I think when we say artificial intelligence, we really most often mean machine learning. And Mm -hmm. Kathy referenced that earlier. That's when we use data to uh, train algorithms to help us make predictive – to help with uh, predictive decision making. Uh, Also, the American Medical Association uses the phrase augmented intelligence. And I think that there's a lot of wisdom in that because – One of the potential pitfalls, there's so much good that's possible Mm -hmm. in putting artificial intelligence technologies to work in the service of those who are ill. A lot of good there. But one of the potential pitfalls is something that we could call techno chauvinism. Uh, Techno chauvinism is kind of our tendency to maybe uh, understand computers as being superior to people. Um, and, and what I mean by that is um, I'm not great at math. Uh, in fact, my 11-year-old daughter, uh, <laughs> you know, reminds me of that all the time. She, she could do calculations much faster than I. Uh, and I always like to re- rely on my calculator. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's why God gave us calculators, you know, so, so that I don't have to worry about that. Uh, but it's our tendency to think that computers are really, really smart and really, really good because they can compute things in a fast way. And really, it's not the case. Computers can only do what we as humans tell them to do, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the risks that we run in using algorithms in healthcare is putting an inordinate amount of trust into that algorithm. And I think the American Medical Association, by using the phrase augmented intelligence, is keeping things in perspective for us, helping us remember that these algorithms, these, uh, these, these machine learning models are tools mm-hmm. and they can help us make decisions. But we shouldn't be handing over the decision making to these tools.
0: Yeah, because healthcare, at its most basic element, is a human-to-human relationship and caring. And if we again, we have all this diagnostic technology, that we know stories of things that have been missed. Or, or maybe shown up in a in an MRI that weren't actually what, what maybe the technology showed them to be, and it took a really skilled radiologist or somebody else to read and say, well, this could be that, but let's let's look at this again, and you know it could be a biopsy that, that tells a totally different story. So I think that point is well taken.
2: That's exactly right. Computers are really good at distinguishing between zeros and ones, mm-hmm. and that can come in handy. Um, for for our purposes, you, you know, in helping to identify some anomalies, uh, perhaps in a in a chest scan or, or, or something of that nature, but they're not great at context, mm-hmm. and we are always going to need to have uh, professionals, um, humans involved to help us uh, navigate the contextual issues.
0: Okay, Kathy talked about we've got this great data out there, and again, again, we all agree that the potential. For curing disease, providing much more accurate treatment options, particularly when you look at things like you know cancer, uh, all really exciting, uh, you know. And it, with any technology, it just seems to grow by leaps and bounds. But the flip side of that is the algorithms that get spit out could be could be causing some health inequities, and that's really what I wanted to kind of talk to you about today. Or, or what are some of those things we in Catholic healthcare need to be, you know? aware of, keep our eyes open about, because I think we're, we're seeing, you know, a lot of our members, a lot of large health systems doing some pretty cool partnerships with other health systems, with companies like Google, Amazon, Microsoft. And I think with the excitement there, we do have to maybe take a step back and say, okay, let's make sure this is used in a way that's ethical and is equitable.
2: You're absolutely right. There are a lot of great opportunities here to harness this technology um, for good. Uh, to help address uh, illness, to help cure diseases that we haven't been able to thus far, all of that is good and laudable. Uh, But there are some concerning possibilities here. One of them that I'd like to raise is just the total lack of regulation in this space. Hmm. Now what I mean by that is we are in kind of a new industrial revolution at this point. Um, we can look to the past and and see, um, uh, you know, the first industrial revolution around factories, right? And and that being a um, a lot of technological advancement, a lot of economical advancement, but it was advancement that left some people behind. And as a result emerging out of that, we see some labor movements coming into play to help kind of correct some of that balance. We're in a similar space today with the datification that we're experiencing in the world. So there's this whole new space of data being generated, data being required to train and uh, operate these algorithms uh, to do good things in the world. There's also a whole lot of data that's being collected behavioral data that's being collected all the time. And in that space, it is a really driven by profit motives. Mm-hmm. And because it's been unregulated and unchecked, um, there is a real concern for human dignity and the common good within this new uh, industrial revolution, if you will.
0: Is there also concern, and, and I think Kathy did a nice job of, of giving examples of sort of the racial inequity that can come up, but what about the socioeconomic? I know the Pope is, has spoken out and, and raised concerns about how AI could leave the have-nots behind while benefiting the have. So, for, for example, for an insurance, someone who's got really good insurance, they may be able to tap into sort of the AI technology and someone who doesn't. Is, is that a concern at all, or, or where are some of the concerns from a socioeconomic standpoint?
2: Well, I think uh, power dynamics are something to be aware of. I love my smartphone. I think it's a great tool. It helps me out in a lot of different ways, but it's an expensive thing. So being able to afford it is one thing. But the power dynamics is when you come in, when you turn on that um, really beautiful piece of artly crafted metal, um, when you turn that on, you've got to agree to some terms of service, right? Mm -hmm. And the power dynamics are such that, as a user, if I want to be able to use that phone at all, I've got to agree to those terms. If I don't want to agree to those terms and I decline them, that phone's not going to work. It's never going to turn on. So when I agree to those terms of service in order to opt into this technology, I'm at a power deficiency as opposed to the companies that, uh, that own the software, that own the device, or, or that created the device, et cetera. And basically, they can begin recording my data as soon as I agree.
0: No, they do. Yeah. Absolutely. And all that information can create pr- basically
2: a profile on you. Exactly. Exactly. So the power dynamics there are pretty significant. And a lot of those services that I'm accessing uh, through that cell phone are, are free to me. You know, uh, my Twitter account is free. Um, I could use a Gmail account for free, for example. But it's important to remember that if I'm not paying for a service in this day and age, it's likely that I am the product that's being sold. Yeah. So all of that data is being harvested uh, and being sold to um, to create some targeted advertising to me. Um, and the significant amounts of money these days that, that are driving that – um, creates a significant power imbalance.
0: So in AI for healthcare, and yep. we've heard this again and again, it's they take data, they depersonalize it. In other words, they take off any patient identi- identification. And you know, I've heard hundreds of millions of data points and, and the benefit of that is really starting to see some trends in disease progression or, or what have you. But I guess there is a concern if they've got all this other set of data out here outside of what's being used in a clinical setting, they can re-identify someone potentially, couldn't they?
2: Absolutely. Um, De-identified data is kind of a myth. Um, In fact, uh, I I read there was a study, somebody using 1990 U.S. census data could, with 87% accuracy, uniquely identify somebody with just their zip code, birth date, and the sex that they gave on, on the census. We often use the terms de-identified because from a healthcare perspective, we are constantly thinking about HIPAA mm-hmm. and, and how we have an obligation to uh, protect patient data uh, and to keep it safe and only share it with others for particular purposes uh, unless we have uh, the patient's inf- uh, consent to do so, Right, right? which is great. Um, that's a great place to start. Um, But the reality is that de-identified data is kind of a misnomer. Um, A better word to use these days, I would suggest, is is scrubbing. Um, You can scrub things to different levels. Um, The amount of time we take to scrub things has a different impact, right? And it kind of implies that we can't totally scrub away our identifying features of data the identified data is ultimately useless. Um, it's right. it's, it's yeah. not really helpful, right?
0: Yeah, if you're gonna to try to, again, research, and a lot of this is being really used to uh, figure out new ways to treat disease, for example. That's right. And if you just have sort of generic data that doesn't tell you anything, what's the point? So I think, I guess that's where I wanna get into the ethical considerations. So you're an ethicist, mm-hmm. You've, we've kind of laid out, A, that there's you know some, some data out there that could be uh, contributing to health inequities. There is concern about privacy and just how it's used and the powers that be. So, from an ethics perspective, as you're talking to other ethicists in Catholic healthcare and maybe other ethicists in just healthcare in general, what do we need to do? What do we need to be aware of? And you mentioned earlier about the fact that this is sort of. You know, the Wild West, I, I, Umpton Sinclair came to mind when you were talking about the Industrial Revolution. I hope <laughs> we're not quite there, but mm-hmm. w- what do we need to do? What do we need to be thinking about?
2: Yeah, I, I think this is a great opportunity to develop some digital literacy. We've got the opportunity to build our awareness of how these digital technologies impact our lives. We don't all need to go out and become data scientists or computer scientists or computer engineers, but we do have an opportunity to understand the basics. So when we're in healthcare, when we're looking at all of the good possibility that's coming out of um, AI technologies in the industry, we've also got the opportunity to pause, make sure we understand, we create some structures within our healthcare systems to ensure that we understand what's going on here. But I would like to distinguish between um, that, which I would call data management. Okay. And data governance. Data governance is the opportunity for us to really step back and think how we're using the data we've been entrusted as a healthcare system. Patients come to us because they trust us, right? And we want to live up to that trust. Um, that I think that's an important part of being Catholic healthcare is is, re, is responding to that uh, trust in good faith, and in doing so. We've got the responsibility to take care of their data, keep it secure for sure, but also use it in ways that reflect their wishes, that reflect um, the their dignity as human persons, and also in ways that would promote the common good.
0: So let me bring in Kathy to kind of wrap things up. Kathy, you've been listening to this conversation. Uh, what are your thoughts or questions for Michael?
1: Yeah, Michael made a lot of really excellent points. Um, and. Uh, I was thinking when he made a reference to the lack of regulation, um, just wanted to mention a couple things um, that's beginning to change. So the Department of Health and Human Services has a regulation out now um, where it is um, it is going to begin to hold or it's proposing to begin to hold both the developers of the algorithms and the users of algorithms, doctors, hospitals um, for disparate outcomes that result in discrimination on the basis of sex or um, race or ethnic background. Uh, It's a proposal now, and I think it's something that we support in principle. We'll need to make sure it's done properly, but we're beginning to see that happening. Just today, I read about the attorney general in the state of California who has opened an investigation into the question of how uh, healthcare system hospitals are using algorithms um, and what steps Uh, healthcare systems are taking to make sure that when algorithms are used in clinical decision making, they don't have discriminatory outcomes based on race and ethnicity. So we are beginning to see policymakers begin to pay attention. And that's something that we will include in our advocacy as well.
0: Well, Michael, thanks again for joining us. I'm going to give you the last word. Any final piece of advice to those listening? Again, those those listening are are most likely working in Catholic healthcare. Uh, What would be the final words you'd want to share with them?
2: Yeah, thank you, Brian. I would want to make the case that Catholic healthcare is particularly well-suited today to be a leader in this space. So first of all, we care for a lot of patients. We have a lot of patient data, and we've got the opportunity to model how to use that in a way that reflects the dignity of our patients as well as promoting the common good. In Catholic healthcare, we also have a great tradition of putting our values into action. Mm. And I think that's one of the uh, opportunities in the literature today to think about how we get from principles around AI ethics, around data ethics, and bring them down to concrete policies and practices. And I'd just like to underscore the point that Kathy was making about advocacy here, Um, we have a centuries-long heritage Mm. of sticking up for those who don't have a voice. So our opportunity here to advocate for the vulnerable um, is a real opportunity to speak up here and demonstrate how through uh, data ethics, through artificial intelligence ethics, we can respect our patients, our community members, and promote the common good.
0: Michael Miller, System Vice President of Mission and Ethics for SSM Health. Thank you for your insights uh, and for sharing your your thoughts on this. Really interesting stuff. Appreciate you being here with us.
2: You're welcome. It was a pleasure to be with you. Thanks.
0: And Kathy Curran, Senior Director of Public Policy for the Catholic Health Association. Thanks for joining us via Zoom from D.C. Always good to talk to you.
1: Great to be here,
0: Brian. And I'm Brian Reardon, your host of Health Calls, the podcast of the Catholic Health Association of the United States. This episode was produced by Josh Matica and engineered by Brian Hartman at Clayton Studios here in St. Louis, Missouri. You can access health calls on any of the services that provide podcasts. You can also go to our website, chausa.org slash podcast to access all of our episodes and materials such as Kathy's health progress article will be linked on that page as well. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next time.